This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. It's not that there's one big massive thing that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It's that there's little jabs over and over that just deteriorate your confidence, right. deteriorate your focus. Right. You know, your like resolution to keep going in that direction and make you make you falter, you know, make you like mm, doubt yourself. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the show where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We ask them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. I know. I know. I know. But rather than talk about their successes, we talk about their failures, more specifically, the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is a multilingual inclusion cultural consultant. Damn, that's a mouthful. And she's also the founder of Tough Convos. Through her consulting company, Tough Convos, she transforms global companies by helping them get uncomfortable and build deeper cultural awareness. She has spent the last 10 years facilitating hundreds of tough conversations and learning experiences for Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, higher education, and global teams tackling diversity, equity, and inclusion. So without further ado, Daphne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Corey. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, I like to ask my guests this one kind of standard question, but when you hear someone kind of rhyme off your resume, and I know I just kind of sprinkled, there's a lot more. And it's like, guys, I could have read for another minute or so. Mm-hmm. Um, are you like, is he talking about me? Or is it more like, yeah, that's right. Or is it a combination of the both? You know, it took me a long time to be um, good at telling my story. Mm. Not because I'm not a good storyteller, right? but because I grew up in an environment where it was kind of not classy to boast. I get you. I know what you you're know? talking about. And so more from a like, you don't, you know, you don't mm. big yourself up that much. You right. know, you're just like, right. let my actions speak. Right. right. And that's kind of how I came up. So when, yeah, when people read you know, my intros and stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, that's like a <laughs> little sliver of me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But, you know, let's get to know each other so you get to know really the full deal, you know? Right, right. And so I know I, I gave you pretty much a lightweight background, but for the folks that are not familiar with who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about how you got started in this industry, what inspired you to get into this industry. Let's let's start there. For sure. Um, I can honestly say I've been an artist from a creative sort of standpoint my Mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. And I've also been an educator Okay. my whole life. You know, I remember as a, as a child in daycare, Mm -hmm. helping the babies, 
Wow. No, that's, I'd be the one. Really hey, okay, I'll, I'll do the, I'll, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was the teacher's assistant. And then, you know, I always had a way of understanding things and like digging out the deeper questions Mm-hmm. So that I could then help others better understand it. And so that's right. why I was really drawn to education because I was interested in learning and I was also interested in helping others understand. Mm. And so that started from very young. Um, and I think that just led me on a really windy path to where I am now, you know, right. whether it was creative arts education, being a performer um, to being an image consultant and mm-hmm. really helping people get their communication skills down pat, right. you know, how to present yourself professionally, publicly, uh, speak in a way that is really you, you know, um, and tap into who you are as a brand, right. you know, when you become a professional in this, in this world of having to market yourself, you know, that's where that all came in. And that led me to cro- to recognizing that my real love and forte was had sort of a cultural spin to it mm-hmm. and i had spent my whole life traveling and being multilingual and and really being able to soak up a lot of cultural lessons and so right. that then drove me into focusing specifically in cross cultural communications right. and the challenges between um people in workspaces especially people that you know, at that time were global companies with teams all over. Right. And those folks were having challenges working together because they just didn't understand each other, you know, right. on so many levels. And so in those days, you couldn't say the word racism because that would just get kicked you out of the company. <laughs> so, you know, but right. now, mm-hmm. you know, fast forward. Right. Um, you can actually call it what it is. And so that was the birth of tough combos. Really. It was like, you know, now that I can say what it is, this is what we're doing about it. We're having these tough conversations and we're addressing it head on. Right. No, that's amazing. And one thing I just picked up from that, I don't know if you were deliberate or intentional about it, but to all the people that are listening to this podcast, the young people uh, specifically, what I just got from what your story is you don't have to have it all figured out when you're young. Because you went on a, on a journey in different paths and you ended up, you know, finding your calling, your purpose. So it's a good nugget right there. For sure. And uh, the one thing I can add to that is there are some folks that from super young, yep. they just know, they you just know, know, they go one direction, mm-hmm. they go that direction hard. They know. Yeah. And I really was interested in a lot of different things. Right. So I wasn't 100 percent how to achieve that. You know, and unfortunately, our education system is subpar, to say the least. Um, And especially our post-secondary education system, you know, in university, you should be getting that sort of direction. Mm -hmm. And I didn't personally, you know, I don't know how many people did, but um, I didn't get that help to really chart out a career path and understand what I could do with my skill set, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. And I, trust me, I got lots to say on that one, but that's for another conversation. All right. <laughs> You'll um, have to call me back to that one. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so let's get into this. So the first question I have for you. So as the founder of Tough Conversations, a company that you know specializes in cultural awareness and inclusion, what has been your biggest failure to date personally or as a company 
and why was it your biggest failure? And ultimately, how did you get through it and over it? I thought about this a lot and mm-hmm. I think it's the, it's like the death by a thousand cuts, you okay. know, explain. It's, it's not that there's one big massive thing that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It's that there's little jabs over and over that just deteriorate your confidence, right. deteriorate your focus, right? you know, your like, resolution to keep going in that direction and make you make you falter you know make you like mm, doubt yourself right and so me not having a business background mm-hmm. and not understanding like the time versus profit ratio right. you know like right. how much time you're spending doing something versus how much money, money you're, you're make making doing that mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. you know like i invested a lot of time in just doing the wrong things right you know, things that did not transfer into profit, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I learned a lot along the way, don't get me wrong, right. um, but I learned the hard way right? because I didn't have that business background and I didn't have a deep network of entrepreneurs, right? right? That could guide me in some of the mm. things that I was about to tackle, you know? Right. Um, and so I think that in general is where I feel like I failed the most. Right. Um, in that I just wasn't I wasn't well prepared. Right. You no, know? and I didn't understand some of the nuances that really make a business thrive. Right. No, and that's and that's fair. It actually reminds me of something a good friend of mine said many years ago. He said mentorship is accelerated leadership. So when you can have somebody that's been there, done that, got the T-shirt too, however you want to put that together, it allows you to kind of miss some of those mistakes or bypass some of those mistakes, right? It's not to say that you won't have any, but yeah. it'll be um, minimized. And so I think that's huge. That's yeah, huge. And as a result of that, I think I'm really intentional about the projects I take on now. You right. know, and I'm really focused on partnering with people in our community so that we leverage our skills and the network and surround ourselves with people that, you know, know more than us, right. know more than me, know more than the other guy in certain areas so that we can really propel each other, you know? Right, right. No, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the collaboration process. And I find that in Toronto specifically, I think that lacks a lot within the black community specifically, but more so on the men's side. I see the women doing their thing a lot, coming together, different conferences, especially in the last maybe two or five years. But with the guys, the fellas, I think there's lots of improvement uh, there from a collaboration standpoint. But yeah, let's go down to the second question here. Um, So Tough Convos, the name of your company. So I'm curious to know, what was the toughest conversation you ever had? Why was it the toughest? Let's start there. I have a, a follow-up to that, but let's let's start with that part. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, in business, I'd say one of the toughest conversations I had was delivering a training mm-hmm. and a partner that I was working with had challenged some of the folks in the room um, in a way that was just really 
it was like taking them beyond the point they were, you mm. know, and they were really uncomfortable. Right. And, uh, you know, we had some people walk out because they just they couldn't handle the conversation. So was he like yelling? Was he saying words no. that were inappropriate? It was just it. It was more about like you have to look yourself in the mirror kind of conversation. OK. You know, gotcha. and some people are just not willing to look at themselves in the mirror. You right, know, it's a scary right. place to go. Well, at least not in a group of in a group setting. You know, that's a whole nother level of feeling uncomfortable. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so at that point, the reason why it was a tough conversation is because I had to manage the damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like that phraseology right there. Manage the damage. I might just steal that. from. Yeah, me. I did. I had to manage mm-hmm. the damage because, yeah. um, you know, she was looked as the bad cop and I was looked as the good cop. And, right, right. you know. Um, it was a tough conversation from that perspective, but what was brilliant about it mm-hmm. is that the other folks in the room realized how deep this stuff goes, right? you know, and realized that, yeah, that's my colleague and he's struggling with that shit because he just got up and left because mm-hmm. he can't take it, you know? And then got they it. started like talking about then, it, then it allowed them to go deeper and look deeper, mm-hmm. you know, and they had their own aha moments. Right. Which is really powerful, you know? Right. So overall, was it like a successful event? Like even though there was some damage done? Well, let's say the leadership mm-hmm. was very happy mm-hmm. about the growth that some of their, um, you know, directors and whatnot had. Right. Um And I think for the most part, they realize that, yeah, you know, we're just we're dealing with some sensitive issues and there's going to be some collateral damage. Right. You know, and frankly, that's one of my um, sort of pillars in the work that I do Uh is you have to know as a leader what your what your values are, you know, from a brand perspective. Like, what are those values that really uphold who you are, what you do, how you do it? Right. And if the people in your room don't fit that, then they shouldn't be there. Mm. It's really that simple. Like there's only so much time on this earth for you to do good work. Right. Why do it struggling with people that are not in line? Right. You know? So I kind of look at it like it's important for leadership to see that. So they understand, is this the kind of employee you're going to invest in to help them Mm. get beyond that and really Mm. co-op like, collaborate with your team and grow or is this the time to kind of let that go let that person Mm. go and let them go where they wait where they might do better you know right and so with that being said would you say that was that like something that was purposeful about that event or is that something that just came out of that event like hey this is you need to look at these people that are not willing to kind of have the tough conversations with themselves as potential people that we shouldn't have on board a part of our team was that like the initial purpose or a part of the plan or was that was you know something that just came out of um the event? it's not intentionally designed right. in that we want people to leave right, <laughs> you know right, we don't we want people to mm-hmm. uh learn and change their mindset right if it's if it's valuable to them right you know, that's really the goal is to have that aha moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I was operating with this sort of not helpful mentality, you right. know. Um, 
However, we also know because we've been doing this work for a long time that it takes getting uncomfortable for people to have those realizations. Mm. So creating the uncomfortableness is definitely intentional, right? but not to a degree that you can't handle it to a degree that you're reflective and you're like, Oh my, and wow. I'm like, Ooh, right. um, uh, you know, asking those questions that, that you probably wouldn't normally ask, you know, that's right. where we're trying to push you, you know? So, but yes, as a result, some, some folks recognize that they're just not ready. They're just not on that. You know, they're not at this, at that point on the journey. Right. And so with that, with that in mind, that last thought there, like, so you just briefly describe why it's important to have these, you know, tough conversations in the boardroom and, and whatnot. But how do you go about navigating around people feeling offended or even afraid to share their honest thoughts? Like, how does that work? Is there, is there something you can do or is it, it is what it is. The first thing I mean, which is intentional is to create a space that's safe to, mm. for them to recognize, like, this is not going anywhere. This is between us. Mm-hmm. This is a space for us to grow and learn and challenge and not judge. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, yes, you're here on our, on our journey. This person's here, this person's here. And we're all, as long as we're taking steps forward, we're on the right track. Right. You know, that's my approach. And sometimes people need to take a step off the path right, right. <laughs> and let things settle for a little bit, you know, until they get the courage to attack it again. Right. Right. No, that 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 makes sense because there's there's no one size fits all solution. Right. Because everyone's in different places mentally. A hundred percent. And it's, 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 it's also like, I would think even a seasonal thing, right? Cause someone could be in typically known as, you know, an alpha willing to, you know, be open and, you know, have these tough conversations. And then all of a sudden they're in a certain phase in their personal life. That's now affecting their normal behavior. So I really think, you know, to your point, you know, sometimes that person might have to just avoid this one for the time being just because of where they're at right now. So that makes, that makes sense. Um, so from your experience, when it comes to DEI, where do most companies go wrong and what are some examples of companies doing it right? So I think the, the main challenge I have found is that companies often think this is extra work Mm. that will sort of chew into their already hectic day. You know, um, and that it's optional, mm. you know, they'll get to it when they get to it. Right. Um, however, they don't know it'll get them first if they continue to do nothing. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just proven to do that. So, you know, there's some folks think that it, an, a mandatory unconscious bias training they did five years ago is, <laughs> is all they need to like move ahead. Right. And, you know, they read a couple articles about the black experience and they feel like they get it. Right. Right. And it's not to say that that's menial work Mm because it's important. Those are steps. Right. But being an ally and being learned and being educated Mm -hmm. is not a temporary thing. It's a lifelong endeavor. Right. Right. I mean, think about it. 
in the, I don't even know how many words there are in the English language, but I know the majority of people know about 5% of them. Right. That'd be fair. So think about that. Mm-hmm. If we know 5% of the English language, imagine how much we know about history and culture and uh, like fiddly mm-hmm. mm-hmm. squat, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so right. for people to think that, you know, you did a, you read this one book by this liberated re- uh, writer and then, you know, you did this one course and all of a sudden everything is gravy. Right. You know, it's not gravy. A young 18-year-old boy just murdered how many people in Buffalo yesterday? Wow. I missed that one. Yeah. Crazy. What was that, what was that about? This morning. I'm just like, and the, the child was, had, had basically threatened other folks in past. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, he had written all about being, you know, this type of individual. Right. And yet nothing happened before right. to prevent... Uh, uh, you know, a massacre like this, right? You know, in a majority black neighborhood, right? And it's just there's so much work to be done. So for people to to act like this is some extra side sidekick work, you know, it's like right. no, dude, this is a part of your real gig, right. your real job. You are a member of this society, of this world, and these problems affect your company. Right. And I I like the way you phrase that. So what I'm getting from this is a lot of companies where they feel short is the attitudes, the way that they approach the uh, like a extra add on an extracurricular activity. I even feel from an outsider, it it looks like just to make you look good. Right. You have, you know, you, you, you check the box, but you're saying because if these companies don't take it seriously, long term at some point it could come to you know bite them in the ass if you will um no that's 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 very fair and very valid so in terms of companies doing it right is there like a clear example of this company right here is really onto something granted that no company probably has it all figured out but what's an example of a company that's like on the right track right now if there is one I would I would hesitate calling out names mm-hmm. because I think the real telling comes from the employees of that company. Mm, that's you know? fair. That's fair. But what I would say with the companies I've worked with and the companies I've studied right. in terms of their approaches and the things they're doing, the things that I see that really make a difference for the employee experience, which is mm-hmm. what really matters. Mm-hmm. Um is when leadership is in the trenches with them, mm. you know, when they go deep, they go grassroots, they actually talk to folks really doing the work and experiencing the barriers. Right. When they do that, that's really leading from the top. Right. Right. Because a lot of leaders will do these, um, you know, they'll have these leadership meetings and they'll have all this, uh, sort of leadership training, but they do this in their silo mm. of being a leader right. at the top with their leadership issues. Right. What they don't do is get deep down into the other areas of the org where people actually feel the barriers. They feel, you know, the challenges and the slights and the microaggressions right. on a regular and they don't really 
understand deeply what that's like because that's not what they're experiencing. Right. And, you know, in my journey as an educator, I found the most important um, thing to learn is the other person's experience, the other person's perspective, Mm. because otherwise you can never truly understand what they're experiencing, what they're going through. And, you know, a white person is never going to truly understand the experience of a black person. Right. Right. Because they just don't live that beingness and that culture and those, you know, thousands of microaggressions throughout their lifetime. Right. Right. They haven't experienced that, but they can go down there and see it with their own eyes. Right. You know, they can go down and be a part of that group and just observe for a while. Mm -hmm. Just go see what's happening. You know, be a fly on the wall. Right. So you're saying Google forms are not enough. (laughs) I like it though. So leaders gotta be in the trenches. I I like that because I think that speaks to one of the uh, biggest examples of what it means to be a leader as in uh, leading by example, right? So getting down there into the trenches, seeing what's going on, not just, you know, from your executive suite office or just, you know, with your team of executives. Um, But that makes sense. And that's very clear. Now, uh, I have a personal kind of, you know, beef, if you will, with uh, DEI. And it's not the initiative. It's just how things seem to kind of come about. Right. So, yep. you know, here are some of my some of my gripes. So they tend to seem to group all non-white people together as if we all have the same issues and challenges, especially here in Canada. We tend to do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they always seem to appoint specifically a black woman to lead DEI. Nothing wrong with that, but it seems like almost super deliberate. And that person often comes off as tokenized to me. And I mean, to be clear, um, like they have no real power. They have no budget and they can't really do anything in backward. And the third thing that comes off that really kind of annoys me is that as a person who can relate to being one of few or the only one, I often struggle to see how these DEI initiatives have changed things much. So can you educate me and my listeners on some of the improvements uh, that have come about as a result of DEI programs, initiatives, et cetera? Um, Well, let me break it down because you said a lot there. Mm Mm-hmm. So first off, um, yes, I partic- I specifically don't use the term BIPOC because I think it's <laughs> not helpful. Right, right. Um, for the exact reason that there are several groups of people in this country and many other countries that are, um, you know, the minority with mm-hmm. challenges because of that, but they're all different. You know, their experiences are different for different reasons. Their histories are different. Their oppression is different. And as a result, each one should be addressed according to their experience, not the group as a whole. Right. Right. So I think, though, when I really look at that in the context of Canada, I think because it's a smaller, like from a number perspective, pure math, Mm -hmm. because it's a small group. 
that's why people group them together. Right. You know, minorities. Yeah. Right. Um, because that's how they make sense of their budgeting. Mm. You know, oh, okay. So they represent 5% of our company. Okay. That's a lot. 5% to this, mm. this group of minorities. And we'll see what, you know, how we can help them kind of thing. Right. And it's just easier. It's less work. Mm. Um, so I think it's, that is purely just, you know, lack of thoughtfulness, really. Right. Um, those kinds of things that you see the, the observation of the tokenized black woman is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I see it too. And I have some colleagues that refuse to do certain jobs for that exact reason. Um, and I've had much experience with women in those positions that don't have budgets. So I do get your point. Right. Things are starting to change. I have worked with a few organizations recently that have black women in, you know, DEI roles. Right. And the leadership really does reach to them for guidance. Mm. Like it's, it's authentic. They really need and want their help. Right. Um, But I do also think it's strategic because first of all, it's a woman and Mm -hmm. a minority. They They check two boxes for one. Right. So, Absolutely. you know, they're no fools. They know what they're doing. Right. Um, but there is definitely a, a shift in actionable things that these Black women leaders can do. Right. Because there's such pressure now in the corporate community mm-hmm. to not be performative and to actually be doing things that make a change. Right. No, and, and that makes sense. And thank you for clarifying a lot of, uh, of of my questions or my gripes, I should say. But how much do you think, do you think we'd be at this point if it wasn't for the George Floyd situation? That's a very good question. I mean, I, mean, I guess one could say it's inevitable that a George Floyd situation would happen. But, well, it had happened. Right, multiple times. times. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, um, and it continues to happen since Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. So I think there was just, I don't know, there was a magnetism of forces at that moment in our history that made it be more than it could be, you know, it really shifted things and we were ready. Mm. There was something about what was going on in the world at that time Right. That we were ready to look at it for what it really is, because there, I mean, this has been going on for eons. Right, right. So I guess what I was really trying to get at with that question is do you feel it's a trend or you think it's here to stay? Like, based on your expertise in the field as someone that's in it every day, do you feel it's a trend? I think this work will not end anytime soon. Mm. Unfortunately, Um, I always said when I was training companies and cross-cultural communications and, um, you know, helping advise on, on, you know, those kinds of issues is that I can't wait until I'm out of a job Mm. when people really understand each other. And this is not an issue. Right. And then and then we looked at, you know, we look at globalization. We're like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're so globalized. Everybody, you know. 
I mean, for an example, hip hop culture is like pop culture. It is. Right. Everywhere you go, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we're there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you look at this and you think, well, because we're so influenced globally by so many other cultures that this racism thing would go away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what we actually noticed and studied is that nationalism and, you know, extremism is at an all-time high because people feel threatened by globalization, Mm. right? They want to be different. They don't want to all be the same. And so now that we are so connected, people are actually trying to maintain their culture more than they did before. Right, right. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, so that's the trend that I see. Mm. And that's why I know this work isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Right. No. Right. It it seems like there'll just be more levels to unpack as we continue to evolve as a society. No, that's a journey. It is a journey. hundred percent. And the entire world is on it. Right. Cause I, I, cause, cause I can even think like in your world, like I'm thinking about what your, your response right now. And I read something recently and saying how, data can be biased so that's like another level right there right so someone that's not you know seemingly racist or obviously racist but they could have these small nuances and they could be behind the coding of these programs these platforms that you know inform these biases so that's like another level within your world yeah it's a significant issue in ai right 100 percent Okay, last question here for you, or last major question, I should say. Uh, throughout your amazing career, what has been the best lesson you believe you have learned from failing thus far? I think truly recognizing that we are all biased mm. in some way, some shape, some form. It doesn't make us bad people. Mm-hmm. It makes us human. Mm, you know, our brains like work a certain way for a reason. Right. And we just need to better understand oh, the whys and the hows so that we can rewire it that serves us in a way that serves us better. Right. You know, and that takes intentional work. Right. On my part, on your part, on every employee's part, you know, it's intentional work. Right. And so, I don't know. I've, I've always been of the mindset. If I'm not learning, I'm dying. Mm, I love it. You know, like, think about it really, mm-hmm. because there are no statics in life. You're right. either going up or you're going down. Right. So if you're not, you know what I mean? Like look at a statistic chart, any type of analytical chart, there's no flat line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always some sort of progress or. Right. Well, back. If you're a flatline, you're dead, right? To your point. Yeah. No, that's fair. Love the answer. Okay, rapid fire question. So real quick, this is where I ask you three questions. You got to answer in five seconds or less. Okay. Okay. So uh, question number one, what was one thing in your business or career that you were afraid of that you got over? That I was afraid of Mm -hmm. that I got over. 
or maybe timid if afraid isn't the right word. Oh, that's a hard one because I'm not really afraid of much. <laughs> okay, we can we can give you another one. I like it. She has no fear. She is fearless. No, that's not true. That's not. It's not totally true that I'm not afraid of anything. But I think in business, it's just not having the right connections mm. because I just you know I I grew up in Scarborough. Mm-hmm. I grew up like my my parents on on both sides. My mother's Italian. Mm-hmm. immigrants came to Canada in the fifties, you know, hardworking. My father's St. Lucian mm-hmm. came here as a teenager, you know, all my St. Lucian family immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, there was no, uh, wealth generation, you know, being mm-hmm. a Canadian for a long period of time. And there right. were no real professional, uh, roots for me to grab at. Right. while charting my course, you know? Right. So I, I think that's probably just a little bit of a, um, to me, I felt like a, a detriment that I didn't have that network growing up to be able right. to pull on. Right. Right. No, I get it a hundred percent. So next question in the world of DEI, what would you like to see happen next? I know there are many transparency. things. Transparency. What do you mean by that exactly? So what I mean is that it's so hard to get leaders to just tell you the truth sometimes. Mm. You know, everyone is so hell-bent on protecting themselves mm-hmm. instead of doing what actually is right. Like there's integrity is a hard thing to come by these days. I think also... Like vulnerability is scary for a lot of people. It's powerful, but to like, you know, be a glass door or a glass house for a minute or a few minutes, that's that's challenging for a lot of folks. And it's and I understand why it's challenging because people don't want to lose what they have. Hundred percent. And we saw that in many forms throughout this whole COVID nonsense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1000 percent all right last question if you could change one thing about the world what would it be <sighs> that everyone knew that they are a spiritual being mm. and that this body that car that house doesn't mean anything if you can't connect with each other. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Daphne, for the listener, the viewer that wants to connect with you, work with you, collaborate with you, hire you, all of the above, how can they find you? How can they reach you? Well, toughconvos.com is our website. And I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram, Daphne Magna, easy to find. Um, Yes. And we love to work with folks that really want to get their hands dirty, mm. you know, and really just dig deep mm-hmm. because that the surface stuff is like so cliche. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, guys, uh, that concludes this episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem. As you guys know, I always like to end with if you want to just impress people, 
Talk about the things you've gained, the amount of money you've made, the shiny objects in your household. But if you really want to have an impact on somebody else's life, talk about your transgressions, your failures, more importantly, the lessons that you learn from those experiences. That's how you really move the needle in someone else's life. So with that being said, guys, Daphne and I are out. Peace and love until the next time. Clockwise, 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 clockwise